I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We're celebrating the 100th episode of this podcast. I'm in quarantine, so I'm celebrating by myself by watching the movie The Untouchables, and you can celebrate with me by listening to this podcast and watching the movie as well. My name is Justin Hamilton, and never stop fighting till the fight is done, here on Big Squid. Sometimes reputation follows you. Robert De Niro is Al Capone. There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me and not by anybody I employ. And I'll tell you why, because it's not good business. Kevin Costner is Elliot Ness. I have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal, and I will do so. Sean Connery is Jimmy Malone. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's it. The Chicago way. You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Everybody knows where the booze is. The problem isn't finding it. Let's do some good! The problem is who wants to cross the pond. Somebody messes with me, I'm gonna mess with him. <laughs> you carry a badge? Yes. Carry a gun. Get your hands in the air! You're all under arrest. You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing no one can get to you? Hey, everybody can be gotten to. All right, then. Drive him to the station. Anything happens, you shoot first. You understand me? Well, I'll tell you one more thing. 
got an all-out price fight, you wait till the fight's over, one guy's left standing, and that's how you know who won. Just tell me, are you being careful? Careful as mice. I want to hurt the man Malone. I want to start taking the battle to him. I want to hurt Capone. This man can finger Al Capone. This man can put Capone behind bars. Well, what's the matter? Can't you talk with a gun in your mouth? You're not to prove your methods. Yeah? Well, you're not from Chicago. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. Pictures presents a Brian De Palma film. I have forsworn myself. I have broken every law I swore to defend. I have become what I beheld, and I am content that I have done right. You got nothing, nothing, and if you were a man, you would have done it now. Never stop fighting till the fight is done. The Untouchables. Welcome to the hundredth episode of Big Squid. I am shocked that we've gotten to 100 episodes considering this uh, was originally just pitched as an after show to Foxtel for HBO's Watchmen. Uh, They declined. I turned it into a podcast. I thought that would be it after Watchmen, but I had a really good time making it. And then we had COVID and lockdown back in 2020 kick in for the first time. So then the second season was a breakdown of every song off the last David Bowie album. And then I was thinking, well, what can it be from there? And it turned into what it is now, which is a celebration of art and entertainment. And essentially, we're always coming from the angle that we want to love it. Doesn't mean we love everything, but we try to. We try to love everything. And sometimes you're disappointed when you don't love something. And sometimes you find your way into it. You know, your first reaction might be, ah, that wasn't for me. And then you dig into it a little bit more and you realise, no, 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 this is actually quite good. Or this is actually brilliant. Or I just watched it at a bad time in my life. So because we do seasons of it, I didn't realise until quite recently that this episode was going to be the 100th. And we thought, well... We'll do something different. I don't know why I'm saying we. I'm in lockdown again. It is 2021, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're in if you're in my future, hello. I hope we're not in lockdown anymore. But uh, I'm here by myself and I thought, well, how can we celebrate this? And I thought, well, why don't we go back to the movie that started it all for me? Uh, this is the first movie that I kind of discovered on my own. Like when I was young, I, of course, would be a liar if I didn't say that I love Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and and movies like that. But this was the first film that I saw the trailer for, was blown away, had never seen anything like it, and then went, I'm going to go and check that film out. And that film was The Untouchables. Now, if you are listening to this before or on the day of the 3rd of July, I'm actually releasing it uh, as of uh, this day. And what we're going to do is, if you want to, you can just listen to me. I'm going to watch The Untouchables. I've got uh, a whole bunch of squid bits. I'm just going to talk over the top of it. And you can listen to it as a normal podcast whenever you want. But 
if you're inclined and you have the free time and you listen to this in the lead up to this event, what we're going to do is we're going to watch it at 8pm Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that is Eastern Standard Time. I'm in Sydney, just so, I, you know, if you're a bit confused or whatever, that's where I am. I'm going to be watching it again at 8pm. And what you can do is you can listen to the podcast while you watch The Untouchables wherever you are. And then on our private Facebook page, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton, I'm going to set up a thread where you can write to me and we can have a remote viewing party. Uh, anyone can join the private page. It's only private because that's a place where we talk about things and we feel pretty comfortable in knowing, you know, we're not going to give any spoilers away to anything that we're into at the moment. And th- that way it's easy to avoid if you're not up to date. Do you know what I mean? So uh, anyone can join. It's just a place where people love stuff and there's a great uh, group of people over there who are really friendly and really passionate about all the stuff that they love. So uh, a bunch of them are going to be joining in. I hope it's you and you know, it should be fun. I made a promise with myself that I wasn't going to drink during this lockdown, but it is the 100th episode, and I thought, why not have a little celebration? I have wasted about 15 minutes trying to take the perfect photo for you. I won't tell you what the photo is. You can find that (laughs) probably on uh, my social media used to uh, promote this episode. Let's get into it. It's a long film. Uh, well, it's not that long. It's uh, I think it'll come in just under two hours, but it's going to be a long film to just hear this idiot talking. But uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being uh, some company, whether it is in the future or whenever. And thank you so much for your patronage of this podcast. It means a lot. It means a lot to me personally. And of course, it means a lot to the friends that I have who join me as guests. We are thrilled with having you listening. Uh, We've had contact with you, whether it's at the live shows or online, and it's all been really positive. So uh, this weird ass celebration is for you, essentially, right? Okay. So, I'm going to do a countdown. I am paused on the mountain just before the movie starts, the Paramount sign. I can see one star just just paused, just ready to make a halo around that mountain. And I'm going to count down from three, and then on one, I'm going to press play. So, if you would like to join in, we're going to start this now. So, three, two, one. And the Blu-ray <laughs> took a little little beat to click in. I did not uh, take that into account. Anytime I see the uh, Paramount Mountain, I don't know about you, but I always think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The first time I ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark was at the cinema. And remember that mountain fades into the... Well, the Paramount Mountain fades into the real mountain uh, in the movie. Ah, oh, such a such a good transition. Anyway, here we go. This Ennio Morricone music is phenomenal. Like, this was the first time that I really recognised a soundtrack. Of course, once again, like I'm 
not pretending that I didn't notice the music for Star Wars or Superman, like sometimes gets a little bit lost, uh, but the, the Superman music is phenomenal. But once again, as I say, oh, and the, the music that's in Gallipoli, because it's so kind of bizarre, but like it's beautiful and it's brilliant, but you know, there's that electronic music, which uh, took me a long time to really understand how kind of groundbreaking that was. But anyway, this was the first kind of uh, movie that I saw where I was listening to the soundtrack and I was like, what, what is this? And the way it just is, it's kind of muscular and it's, it's, it's pretty at times, but it also feels like it could, it sounds like it's a soundtrack that feels like it could take a punch, if that makes sense. And, you know, just everything about that start with the, with the music, just the, uh, the, even the font, let's get really nerdy. Even the font is fantastic. I kind of knew about the TV series, but I didn't really know that much. It was just a little bit before my time. There was still some reruns when I was a kid uh, on at certain points, but it was a bit too grown up for me. So this really was very much a uh, an introduction to uh, Elliot Ness. Uh, David Mamet as well. I'd never heard of David Mamet before. And so this was the uh, first work of his that I'd ever, ever experienced. Um my first ever girlfriend, I took her to a play in Adelaide and we went and saw Speed the Plow because of uh, David Mamet. So, um, good first girlfriend too. Had some good times. Big shout out to Lorraine if she's listening. <laughs> Pretty certain she's not. <laughs> so, 1930. Prohibition has transformed Chicago into a city at war. Rival gangs compete for control of the city's billion-dollar empire of illegal alcohol, enforcing their will with the hand grenade and Tommy gun. It is the time of the gang lords. It is the time of Al Capone. And what a what an opening. Like, what an opening scene. Look at De Niro. He's just a... Uh, Like, I don't know how he does it, but he's kind of got presence with his face covered. <laughs> and look at that reveal. Whew. Oh, De Niro. Can you imagine putting on weight for a role? Um, I'd be terrified to do something like that. Especially now, I feel like <laughs> I put on weight just, you know, Oh, is that a Tim Tam over there? Oh, no. Oh, God. Just lost a little bit of, uh, (laughs) you know, definition around the jaw again. Yeah, you know what's um, interesting about this performance is he's kind of funny. You know, he's holding court. He's, He's not just scary. You know, he is charismatic. And then this scene. Oh, look at his face. (laughs) That's all right. Oh, man. So, De Niro, uh, there's lots of interesting uh, what-ifs with this movie. Uh, As I said, all the way through, I'll be giving you some squid bits. 
and uh, you know, kind of keeping you uh, hopefully entertained <laughs> while we do this. Um, so the story is that Marlon Brando refused five million dollars for two weeks as Al Capone. So th- I didn't know that. Uh, that's a funny thing for me to read at this point because. Um, so when lockdown started, so that we're, we're a week into lockdown at this point, this second lockdown in Sydney, and so I haven't really seen anyone for a few weeks. I'm not even sure if I'm talking to anyone at the moment. Chin chin, let's have a drink. But the uh, I decided to just really embrace it. Like, rather than move away from it, I just thought, well, you know what? Like... Let's go really crazy. So on my first night of lockdown, I did a double feature. I watched... Uh, I've, I've seen both of these movies before, but not back to back. I watched uh, Full Metal Jacket, and then I followed it up with the final edition of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that was an intense five hours. Anyway, Brando and that was so good and so menacing, but... I don't know. Like, I'm glad it's not Brando, aren't you? Like, I think De Niro's perfect in this role and... Oh, Frank Nitty, leaving your fucking suitcase behind. Like, it's a pretty brutal opening when you think about it, isn't it? Oh. Like... Like, boom. Holy shit. Like, that is... Maybe I'm getting softer when I was older, but... Like, when I was young, that was horrifying. But now that I'm older, it's like, holy moly. September 15, 1930. I'm just going to read things out whenever there's an opportunity to read them out. Uh, Patricia Clarkson. This is her first movie role. What a fabulous uh, actor. And uh, she looks great, too. She doesn't really get a lot to do in this film. It's a little bit... um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively masculine film, but uh, I remember liking her and her performance in this when I was um, when I was a kid. So I think she does a lot with maybe not much. Look at this as well. Like you don't even. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, you get two sides of the the. Well, they're not the same coin at all, but you know, they're, they're similar introductions, aren't they? We don't see Al Capone's face. Uh, for a bit, and we don't see Elliot Ness's face for a bit. Oh, she wrote a note and, and wrapped it around the carrot as a little surprise. Oh, Elliot, you have a good wife. So, um, yes, so uh, Marlon Brando was offered all that money, and he said no because, you know, by that stage, Marlon is whatever Marlon Brando is, right? Uh, So then uh, Robert De Niro was the first choice once they were getting the film rolling. But uh, Brian De Palma met with Bob Hoskins in case uh, De Niro couldn't do it. And then when De Niro took the role, uh, Brian De Palma sent Bob Hoskins a cheque for his contracted fee of $20,000. Pounds, and Bob Hoskins immediately called De Palma and asked him if there were any more movies he didn't want him to be in. That is a funny story. 
you know, it, it's it's rarely happened, but I have been paid not to do things as well. And I will tell you here and now, it is awesome. Like, it is the absolute best. Back when uh, I came up to work on Breakfast Radio in Sydney, we got can six months before our contract was up and I got paid for that six months and um, I loved it. <laughs> I really had a good time not uh, not going in, oh, we don't need you, but we're still going to pay you. Great. If you're bad with money and that's the contract that you've uh, allowed me to sign, uh, tickety-boo. That was around the time when I, I took a real break from stand-up and started uh, thinking about what I wanted to do next. I was kind of a bit over stand-up at that point, and I was also just a little bit over, um, you know, uh, I was pretty depressed at that point, actually. That was when I just moved from Melbourne and then moved uh, up to Sydney. So uh, that gave me a, a really good six months to uh have some introspection. Uh, and also, uh, I, I caught up with so few people. Uh, what I didn't realise, it was a really good practice run for any time uh, I might end up in quarantine. And look at me flourish. <laughs> oh, look how young Costner is. Like, I'd never seen Kevin Costner before. Um, I can't... Let's um, Let's have a look at his filmography. Um, so I, I had never seen uh, Costner. Uh, this is kind of the movie that, uh, you know, really, really breaks him. Uh, you probably know the story that he was in The Big Chill, but all of his scenes were cut. He was the friend that died. And uh, all you really see is, you know, the I think it's the opening scene with the with the credits and it's just like, the the dead body being prepared for the funeral. So you kind of see his hairline. You see his wrist. <laughs> it's like, oh, imagine that. Like, imagine... Um, God, just imagine, like, having your big break and then, and then you cut. That would be brutal, especially in such a good movie as well, right? Um, so, uh, Costner... Going back, so this movie comes out in 1987. Uh, before that, I hadn't seen Silverado, so that's probably the biggest film he had made before that one. He was in American Flies. I still haven't seen that. He was in Amazing Stories. I never saw that one, so it's all... His first film was a movie called Malibu Hot Summer. That sounds uh, great. <laughs> Let's have a look what that is about. A fabulous Malibu beach house is the setting for Sin in Sun as a trio of lovely ladies find love in Los Angeles over one sizzling summer. Wow. And uh, just looking at everyone else who is in that film, and I do not recognize one name. So good work, Kevin. You managed to survive... Uh, Malibu Hot Summer. So, I, I love him in this, and I think this is a really difficult role. I think it's um, it's hard to play a character who's so straight-laced. He's surrounded by legends, 
you know, uh, Sean Connery and Robert De Niro are both legends by the time this film is being made. Uh, you know, legends in kind of different ways. But, you know, Costner has to, like, they're the ones that get to be kind of bigger. They get the, you know, they get to kind of dance around the notes and he's kind of like the one keeping time for them. And I think he's marvellous. I think he's so good in this. Yeah, it's such a tense scene, isn't it? It's like, this is a, I like this recurring guy with the, with the old-fashioned camera. Jeez, must have been an hard times to take a selfie back then, right? Uh, so Costner goes, so he does the Untouchables. Then he does No Way Out, which is a really solid flick. I think he made No Way Out before the Untouchables, but I think it was then released after. Then he does Bull Durham. And Bull Durham is a scorcher of a film. Like, that's a really, that's a hot film. Like, that's Susan Sarandon, whew, Kevin Costner. Good God, it is sexy and it's funny. It's a sexy, funny comedy. God, when was the last time you saw a sexy, funny comedy? Yeah. So then he does that, and then he does Field of Dreams. And Field of Dreams is just, you know, if you have dad issues... Holy shit! It's a it's a it's a it's a man fairy tale, and uh, <laughs> it still makes me kind of weepy. I think uh, his performance in that is exquisite, and it's you know it's uh, in some ways it's it's just unashamedly romantic. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give away the ending, but. Um, you know, you, you know the premise. Like it's, you know, it's a fairly. If you build it, they will. He will come. You know, it's such a um, fairly well-known line from a movie, even if you haven't seen the film. And oh man, this scene. Sorry, this scene here. <laughs> I remember first seeing this and just having this awful feeling that things were going a bit too well for this guy on the first day of his job, <laughs> and the look on his face here when he. Uh, pulls it out because it's so good because it looks like a bottle doesn't it it's like oh shit he's done all right and then voila and look on his face and they get the guy gets a photo oh elliot yeah get him out of here no 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 don't do that to little jimmy olsen (laughs) he looks like jimmy olsen right Oh, man, I would have smashed the shit out of everything out of frustration over that. So, um, so Field of Dreams, it, uh, you know, and it all comes down to, uh, essentially, without getting into it, he gets to play catch with his, with his, with the ghost of his dead father. <laughs> and saying that out loud, it's like, uh, yeah, okay, no worries. But when you watch it, it is beautiful. And I really love that film so much. So, what a what a run for anyone who's like, oh, I wonder who this Kevin Costner guy is. And then you get The Untouchables, No Way Out, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, all from like two years. Like, holy shit, that is good, right? And then, you know, it's like three years later that he does Dance with, Dances with Wolves, which is, a, 
I haven't watched that in a long time, but I remember enjoying it at the time. It's just that, you know, what kind of worked against it was that um, it beat Goodfellas for the Oscar for Best Picture. And it's like, it's funny, isn't it? You you then hold it against him. And it's like, well, he didn't do anything wrong. He made a good film that was solid, that people enjoyed. But, you know, it's funny how you hold it against the people. Oh, there's the note from his wife. Oh, he's already feeling bad. And he's smoking. Oh, and he's littering. And uh, the the most Scottish-Irish man we've ever met, (laughs) Sean Connery. (laughs) That's when you know you're a movie star, right? You know you're a movie star when you can just say, yep, I'm a Russian. And I sound Scottish. <laughs> Sean Connery. Now, there's a there's an interesting man. It is a... It's tough, isn't it? Right? Because... Look, I, I never really got into uh, James Bond as a kid. Um, I always found that... The guys that were into it, you know, like uh, like one of my uncles and that, they were always just so a bit too masculine. Like when you when you're raised by a single mum, especially back uh, in the seventies, uh, men were just a bit gross. I, I found men a little bit scary. Uh, I could never barrack for the Australian cricket team because Dennis Lilly and Greg Chappell and Rod Marsh were just kind of gross to me, and and Sean Connery was a little bit ugh. There was just always that air of violence to him, and we kind of know stuff in the real world, which is, you know, like, let's not get into it now because we're having a good time, but, you know, it's problematic. But weirdly, I love him in this, and uh, it is such a great performance, and I kind of like him a little bit older and, and, and therefore a little bit more vulnerable and I like his, um, I like the way this relationship comes about as well. See, like, Costner, hang on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, the way Costner looks at him, like he just, here endeth the lesson. He just really holds himself well uh, amongst uh, these, you know, proper movie stars. And that's why Kevin Costner ends up being a movie star as well. He doesn't he doesn't shrink. How many times have you seen movies where someone who is new uh, just kind of gets lost in the mix? And when we get to him as well, I feel exactly the same way about Andy Garcia. Like, when Andy Garcia turns up in this film, it is like, what? the fuck is happening i've never heard of kevin costner i've never heard of this guy and they are both charismatic and magnetic and ah just so good the uh, and uh, this is a beautiful film as well like what a what an amazing set or i wonder if it's a set actually it looks like it could be real doesn't it um it probably is a set. And there we go, the bookkeeper. Yep, just in case you didn't notice it. Everything's in the ledger. 
Um, this movie was released in 1987, so I'm guessing that uh, when I first became obsessed with this, I was 14. Um, 14-year-old Justin Hamilton, if you want to get uh, get a view for it. By the way, th- there's, there's a few things in life that I will never do in bed, and one of them is smoke. Well, I don't smoke, so that's going to be really easy. I don't like eating in bed either. Uh, eating in bed is just... No, eating is for elsewhere, and bed is for sleeping and not feeling any crumbs. Look at that smug bastard on the left. Like, the guy on the right's just a sycophant, but that guy on the left... Ugh. Yeah, having a fucking crack. Look at him. Like, you can't help but just be on on Elliot's side, even though he is, you know, he's a goody-two-shoes. Like, he's morally, uh, you know, strong. But look at this. Like, he's being bullied. This was bullied in the workplace. Elliot, go to HR. But I love this. This is such a such a good thing. You know, he doesn't... In a lesser film, I reckon he rips that down and throws it defiantly on the ground. You know, the, the newspaper heading, uh, you know, Crusader Cobb busts out. But instead, he just calmly peels it off and pins it to the board. And it's like, he is defiant. Now, this woman here, I reckon, is unbelievable i love her performance and i love costner's performance here as well i've got uh, the hairs of my arms standing up the the woman who is the um the mother of the little girl who we've already seen go kaboomy <laughs> i wonder if i can find who she is is it i wonder if this is possibly Colleen Bade, I think it is. Colleen Bade is oh, so good. So good. Once again, you know, he's a he's a goody two shoes, as it were, but he is he might not uh, he might not project it, but he's full of emotion. Sixteen thirty four Racine Avenue. I used to have a friend who lived there. That address is etched into my memory. Uh, So this movie came out in 1987. And, uh, you know, when I was about 14, if you would like to picture what I was like, um, I was around 14, 15 when I, (laughs) within the span of about uh, six weeks, I got braces and I got glasses. So, yeah. What I'm saying is, I was fucking hot. Just let you marinate on that for a moment. (laughs) I remember saying to my mum, if I can... All I need now is a hearing aid and a walking stick and I can be a... um, I can be the complete package. Yes, I, I had... A sense of humour, even back then, and that was how I coped with a lot of things. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was uh, I was riding my bike to the, the dentist in the city constantly, having to get, you know, the braces tightened, having to get 
uh, plates, all that kind of stuff. Boo. Um, And when I would have spare time, I would just go and see this movie. I think it may have been actually the first time that I really got into going to see a movie by myself as well and, and the joy of that. I like this uh, scene here because it, it, it shows that he, for, for all his strength of character and for all his bravado there, you know, like, I like that Malone doesn't take him up on the offer straight away. It kind of, it says a few things. It, it tells you just how uh, pervasive and how strong a grip that Capone has on the city of Chicago. And also there is a little bit of, um, you know, like Sean Connery's a man's man, but there's a little bit of trepidation there, isn't there? There's a bit of fear. And that helps not only raise the stakes, but it also helps you helps you like the character a little bit more, makes him, makes him three-dimensional. It also just really shows that, like, I knew that uh, in the real world that Capone was done for tax evasion, but I also knew that this wasn't necessarily a, you know, a docudrama, like, or, you know, it's 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 not, you know, meant to be 100% real as to what happened, but the... Uh, but seeing all of this stuff uh, happen really early on, and you know what, we're twenty six ish minutes into the um, into the movie, and it's you just see, oh man, like I'm guessing he's gonna sort all of this out, but it's it's gonna be hard, right? This is not going to be easy. Uh, this is a fantastic. Uh, first scene from Charles Martin Smith as uh, Oscar Wallace. Like, what a what a great first scene. Look at those glasses. Maybe I was probably watching this movie thinking, oh, I want to be, uh, I want to be Elliot Ness, but I was looking at uh, Oscar going, oh, but I'm probably going to be Oscar. Oh, things don't work out too well for Oscar. Um, so this movie was, uh, oh, and here's a little squid bit about the character of Oscar. Let me uh, just find it here. I have so many notes for you. Uh, The character of Oscar Wallace is partially based on Frank J. Wilson, the IRS criminal investigator who spent years keeping tabs on Al Capone's finances and helping to bring him down. Uh, You will be... Happy to know he did not get shot uh, in real life. There we go. Uh, That is a good thing. I've just deleted something that I didn't mean to delete. Ah, What a fucking disaster. Anyway, what are you going to do? Oh, maybe I can find it again. I would edit this out, but quite clearly you're listening to it. So I didn't. Makes it feel more real, doesn't it? Oh, this scene. Yes. Look at that. Like, one of the all-time great scenes. So, there's something interesting about this, actually. I learnt this today. 
this was Connery's idea to shoot the blood oath scene in the church. It was meant to be on the street, but Connery thought a church was the only place the two men could talk that would be safe. Oh, man. Look at that. Like, that is a... That is a scene. It looks beautiful. And Connery's so good in this. Like, he's really testing Ness, you know. He's 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 probably heard people talk a big game in the past, right? And he's learning. He's learning about Ness. In this scene in the church, he's learning about Ness. And through learning about him, he's like, oh. he's the real deal. And if I don't follow through with this, how am I going to live with myself? And now they've just made a blood oath. And, you know, so we're half an hour in. You're sitting there, you're watching, thinking, geez, this Elliot Ness guy, Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness, this is fantastic. Uh, I guess that uh, little guy is going to be, um, Oscar is going to be helping them out as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then we're about to have oh, just one of the um, great kind of first scenes for an actor, I reckon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, this is just a... Um, you know, going in to find the recruits and, uh, you know, for those of you who might be listening at a later date, uh, asking for, um, you know, they're going in to get the police recruits now because they haven't been around long enough to end up being bought off by uh, Al Capone's men. So, uh, so you know, uh, Malone takes uh, Nest here and he wants the the two best shooters and then this first guy that comes up is just great oh yeah Ness doesn't want any married men this guy <laughs> yeah he he can't he can't answer like he can't answer what he thinks because he's too busy answering what he thinks he should say yeah yeah, I can help. I can do some good. <laughs> and Connery here is amazing. And this comment here. There goes the next chief of police. And here we go. Look at Andy Garcia. Holy shit. What a handsome asshole. Oh, he is magnetic. You know. Guy says, this kid's a prodigy. And look at him. Look at the way he holds himself. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this is so good. It's all in the eyes, isn't it? And Nessa's just watching this play out. Yeah. Oh. Oh. 
and Malone. Going full racist. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love that. This is what wins over Malone. (laughs) And and Costa in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I like him too. Uh, and then Elliot Ness introduces himself <laughs> the last second. Oh, it's great. Oh, Andy Garcia. I always feel like Andy Garcia didn't quite get... Oh, it was almost the right career. Like, if you if you gave him, I don't know, 10 shots at this career, I feel like this is somewhere right, right in the middle like he is electric in this film. Like he is electric. He he looks so good and he's so charismatic. And you know, once again, uh I'd never seen him in anything before this. Uh looking at his IMDb, he was in um a few TV series appearances. Uh Hill Street Blues, played a street kid. Murder she wrote. Played a mugger one first white tough, so he's he's in two episodes. Uh, one was uncredited. The mugger one was uncredited. Uh, then he was uh, in a few other things that I don't recognise. Alfred Hitchcock presents. Uh, then he he was in Eight Million Ways to Die, which is a movie that I had not seen. Uh, it stars um, Jeff Bridges and Rosanna Arquette, and I remember seeing it after this and thinking he was pretty he was pretty great in that i don't know if you've ever seen that film uh, that's a uh, a former police detective still recovering from his alcohol addiction is seemingly drawn into la's criminal underworld after stumbling upon a local drug ring based on the book by Lawrence Block, who also wrote, uh, who helped write the screenplay with Oliver Stone and Art Lance Hill, and it was directed by Hal Ashby. I only ever saw it once, and I it was a long time ago, and I remember enjoying it a lot. But The Untouchables comes along, and then it's like, you know, that's kind of his big break. Uh, and then he follows it up with, um, uh, he's in Stand and deliver but i don't think he has a very big role in that i'm not certain what he actually does in that film it says he here on his imdb that he was in stand and deliver that's bizarre um american roulette yeah black rain which is a, a little known ridley scott film like one of his lesser films uh that's in 89 but that's with michael douglas so that's still a pretty big Look at this guy. Ugh. Look how sweaty he is. Makes you... I don't know why. It's not his fault that he's sweating, but it makes you angry, doesn't it? Um, but Black Rain's, you know, it's okay. Uh, Internal Affairs is a really good film, and he's really good in it. But then he's he kind of gets this opportunity where he's in The Godfather Part 3. And he's great in it. I think he is spectacular. But that film suffers from being... A, not as good as the first two. And a lot of his scenes are opposite a very inexperienced actor in Sofia Coppola. And I think it kind of gets lost that he's 
really good in that. Uh, he follows that up with a movie called Dead Again. Uh, a woman who has lost her memory is taken in by a Los Angeles orphanage and a private eye is enlisted to track down her identity, but he soon finds that he might have a past life connection to her that endangers their lives. That's a Kenneth Branagh film with Emma Thompson. It's kind of a noir film. It's okay, um, but it's not, um, you know, it's a little bit whatever. Um uh, Hero, uh, which is a Dustin Hoffman, Gina Davis film with Andy Garcia, a not-so-nice man rescues passengers from a crashed airliner only to see someone else take credit. I only ever saw that once. I remember liking it fine, but it just was a bit, once again, a little bit whatever. Uh, then he makes uh, Jennifer 8, uh, he plays John Berlin, uh, a big city cop from Los Angeles, moves to a small town police force and immediately finds himself investigating a murder. Using theories rejected by his colleagues, John meets a young blind woman named Helena, who he is attracted to. Meanwhile, a serial killer is on the loose and only John knows him. And that's Andy Garcia, Uma Thurman, Lance Henriksen. That, once again, it's just like I remember like it was kind of fine. Uh, when a man loves a woman, you know, there's just a lot of films that are like fine, but he just, you know, where was where was the where was the big big great film? Like he needed the big great film that you know just cemented him, so he was getting all the all the right um, all the right offers, you know, but he just just never quite happens. And I find that really disappointing, actually, because I do love Andy Garcia. And, um, you know, I think they kind of stopped making, like, he's kind of like a 70s actor in a way, don't you think? And I, I think they just kind of stopped making those types of films. So I, I always sort of thought that he might be the, um, he might be the next Al Pacino. I thought that when I saw this film, and then that's what uh, made his um, opportunity to be in The Godfather 3 so exciting. And uh, then the movie just doesn't quite quite deliver. I still think it's a good film, but it's just, you know. Uh, De Niro in this baseball scene is really entertaining, really funny, goes around, tells his story, brandishing his baseball bat, and then when he fucking goes for it, that moment of violence is shocking. Like, that is a shocking scene. And the music's perfect. The way it lingers and you watch all that blood spread, it is unbelievable. Uh, A little squid bit on this for you that you might like to... uh, like to know uh where is it um i'll tell you this one while i'm looking for the other one uh de niro insisted on getting fat for the role and went to italy on an eating tour to help him get fat and i have never heard of anything so wonderful <laughs> i would love to go to italy on an eating tour. Um, you know, I don't think I'd be quite up for um, 
getting super fat like him. But um, ah, so here's the uh, here's what I was looking for: the baseball bat dinner scene actually happened in May 1928 after getting word that several of his associates were plotting to murder him. Capone invited them all to dinner, got them drunk, and then proceeded to beat each man to death with a baseball bat. So there are some historical inaccuracies in this film, but that is not one of them. By the way, nice to see a married couple who, even though things are really stressful, he is going to, uh, you know, have sex. <laughs> you know, these are these are very, um, you know, nice times in that regard. You know, these things weren't uh, talked about. Uh, you know, in the in the era that it's set. So good to see that they have a healthy sex life. He might be you know, committed to his work and he might be someone who is incorruptible, who believes he's untouchable, but uh, not in the bedroom. Elliot is not untouchable at all. And if his wife wants to take him there to have sex, he will go and have sex. Good on you, Elliot Ness. Oh, this is a great scene. Uh, this is uh, a great character actor, Del Close. Uh, you know, you would recognise him from lots of movies, actually. He popped up throughout the years. He's no longer with us, but this is such a great scene. Such a good moment to um, have this scene as well because, um, you know, it gives you a sense that, you know, like they might have the, the, the good news headline, but it's like, oh, well, you know, he must be starting to make a little bit of headway. And so, therefore, uh, Capone is going to try and buy him out. Um, the uh, In real life, Al Capone did uh, try to bribe him. This uh, envelope uh, scene is actually based on fact. Al Capone promised Ness he would have two $1,000 bills on his desk every Monday morning if he turned a blind eye. Now, I think they worked out that if you work that out in um, today's prices, I reckon that would be, uh, what was it? I think it was like $30,000. So every Monday you'd find $30,000 on your on your uh, desk. That'd pay the mortgage, wouldn't it? Probably pay a couple of mortgages. Uh, it's always great when you hear the title of the movie mentioned. Yeah, and look at this. Also... It's not the first time we'll see uh, Elliot get angry and and shove someone. Oh, yeah. This scene with uh, Frank Nitty. He's... Oh, like, he is just so gross. (laughs) That poor actor is so good in this role. Look at that, when people had normal teeth as well. Not everyone had them capped. (laughs) Um. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, shit is uh, building up here, right? You know, you've gone from ah oh, nice newspaper headline to trying to be bribed to ah oh, now we're going to let you know we know where you live. Yeah, jeez, Elliot. Good little bit of misdirection here. 
<laughs> See the daughter's face? Uh, so funny. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, Capone promised Ness he would have two $1,000 bills on his desk every Monday morning if he turned a blind eye. Elliot Ness refused and in later years struggled with money. He died almost broke at the age of 54. That is very sad, isn't it? Um, In fact, at the time of his death, Ness and his role was completely forgotten, and none of the Chicago newspapers mentioned his death. It wasn't until the posthumous publication of The Untouchables book he had co-written and the TV series was produced that he was finally remembered. That's a bit sad, isn't it? You know, like he does the right thing and, uh, you know, (sighs) I'm not saying that you should take bribes, of course, but far out. I love this little scene when he says goodbye to his his daughter and she wants the little uh, Eskimo butterfly, though um, I'm guessing we shouldn't really say Eskimo anymore, but Inuit butterfly doesn't quite sound the same. Always like those little moments in this film. It's like, uh, you know, Elliot never forgets to, um, you know, be empathetic or or soft when when the uh, moment uh, kind of presents itself. Uh, you know, soft as in, you know, like just not a hard ass. I mean it as a as a compliment. It's uh, once again. It's like when the woman comes to visit him, whose uh, daughter exploded. You know, and look at this. This is uh, the the iconic scene of the four of them together. And you know, there's uh, there's something something kind of similar in this uh, with their attitude. It's you know the first half of uh, the Dark Knight. Yes. You didn't think I was going to do the 100th episode podcast and not somehow bring it back to Christopher Nolan, did you? Anyway, uh, you know, at the start of The Dark Knight, it's uh, Alfred and Bruce and, and, and Gordon uh, having a good time, actually. Like, they're, they're, they're taking down the mob and they're, they're, they're doing good work. And these guys here, like, even though, you know, Ness is angry and, uh, you know, worried that his family's just been threatened you know they're making headway they're feeling good they feel like they are really you know actually going to make a difference i love that all the stuff with oscar and the the tax evasion i love that it is pretty much played for laughs so especially in the first half of the film so if you if you don't know the story, you don't really know, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of comes as a, a, a nice little twist, doesn't it? When you suddenly go, oh, okay, this did turn out to be important. Well, I, I like the way it's kind of, it's not given really any gravitas, is it, in the first half of the film? I like that uh, a lot. This is just a, uh, we're, we're now at, for anyone who's not watching while they're listening, we're now at the moment with the Canadian uh, Rockies. And um, it's it's such a good idea because it just gives the movie sort of like two halves. And this is like, the, like we're, we're right at the middle now. We're at the, uh, 
uh, or around about the middle at the 48 minute mark. And, you know, we've got blue skies, we've got the mountains, we've got them now on horses. Uh, you know, it's important to the story, but it just it just gives us something different to look at. And it's, uh, and it's beautiful. Like, it looks amazing. And I love the guy that um, Costner is talking to and, you know, there's a bit of, bit of attitude. <laughs> uh, far out. There's just something... Um, <laughs> Costner's posture sitting on the horse looks terrible there. You know, sitting in the um, sitting in the in the little you know home, waiting. This is uh, this really gives us an opportunity to have some uh, Malone time. Uh, home Malone. That's what we should have done. We should do a movie where uh, Malone is uh, <laughs> being being trapped in his house by the mob. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I've I've uh, I've only had uh, one glass of wine and I am feeling pretty good. I haven't had a drink for a bit, so uh, things are ticking along nicely. But this is good. This is uh, a, a real opportunity for Malone to, uh, you know, you know, it's 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 not only giving us some beats with the character. It shows us the way he's taken on a paternal role within the uh, within the team and. You know, then he just eats that awful looking meat. Um, this scene, little squid bit for you. Uh, this scene um, w- uh, did not happen. This did not happen in uh, the real world. And um, uh, Frank Nitty, uh, while I'm at it, uh, so the com- the Canadian border raid that never happened. Um, I'll I'll save the Frank Nitty thing until we get uh, later on into the episode. Um, and funnily enough, uh, Elliot Ness's unit had very little to do with Capone's final tax evasion conviction. So that's quite fascinating, isn't it? But, you know, I'm not watching this film because I want accuracies. I'm watching this film because it's awesome. Oh. <laughs> uh, while we're kind of here, uh, I think I started telling you this before, but we, um, you know, who would have guessed that uh, I got distracted? Uh, this film was originally released in 1987. It made it was made for 25 million, made 162 million worldwide. 76 million of that was in the states, meaning uh, for the year it came in at number six at the box office. What do you think the top five movies ahead of it were? Do you want to have a little guess? You want to have a little think? If uh, if you're listening to this while we're doing the remote viewing party, why don't you quickly write down what you think they were? Don't look them up. It means you're on the internet and that's cheating. And if you're cheating, you're cheating yourself. Because I'll be impressed, but it'll be based on a lie. I'll give you a few more seconds to have a little think. And I'll count from... I'll tell you the movies from number five to number one. Okay? Ready? Okay. 
coming in at number five, Moonstruck. I have not watched that film in a long time, but I remember liking it uh, very much. Uh, I'm pretty certain that's the movie that Cher won her uh, Academy Award for so um, yeah that would be that's a, that's a good film I think that might have been the first film that I ever saw Nicholas Cage in uh, coming in at number four Good Morning Vietnam yeah, that is a very good film Robin Williams one of his best coming in at number three Beverly Hills Cop two uh, little fact for you never seen a Beverly Hills Cop movie there you go. I should do something about that. Number two was Fatal Attraction. That was a big film. That was a big, big film. Um, Michael Douglas, Glenn Close. Uh, I think Anne Bancroft as well. Ah, uh, oh, you Canadian Rockies coming in, getting too eager. But see, even even in this scene with the Canadians uh, coming in too quickly and you know, Ness is starting to get stressed and, and like, you know, they're, they're a bit like, oh, well, things are going well. We better better get onto it. <laughs> like they're kind of enjoying themselves. Um, And then coming in at number one, <laughs> three men and a baby. Yeah, that was a really big film. Crazy, right? Three men and a baby. Um, just so you know, uh, I did a little bit of uh, extra research to see what other films came out that year that The Untouchables made more money than. So it did more than the original Lethal Weapon. And that was a big film too. So, you know, it shows you that uh, The Untouchables was a big hit. Uh, the Witches of Eastwick... Um, I haven't seen that in a long time, but that's that was a pretty big film with Jack Nicholson at the start. At, you know, I think he was pretty much at the height of his stardom, maybe. He was at the heart of his stardom for a long time. Um, uh, oh, yeah, man. When, uh, when, uh, when George Stone gets shot in this moment, it's like, oh, no. It's like, thank goodness, he's, it's just a flesh wound. Like... But it's nice, it's a little bit of foreshadowing to show you that they're not, um, you know, that they're not infallible. Do you know what I mean? Great scene with the car. Oh, Elliot, nearly getting fucking crunched. Um, So The Untouchables made more than uh, Lethal Weapon, The Witches of Eastwick, Dirty Dancing, big film. Predator, that was a big film. Full Metal Jacket. Uh, which is, I think, maybe Kubrick's biggest film, I think, um, which I only just recently watched, which I told you about. Uh, that's one of my favourite scenes in The Untouchables when uh, <laughs> Malone just starts firing his gun. Uh, enough of this running shit. <laughs> um, and The Untouchables also made more money than a movie called Benji the Hunted. Have you ever heard of that? I'd never heard of Benji the Hunted. I'm like, what is going on? Like, does... Like, I had no idea. Like, does... I didn't even know... Like, I knew there were a few Benji movies, but I was like, oh, right in the nuts. Um, sorry, it's the scene where Oscar just um, runs in and uh, hits the guy in the nuts with his gun after it jams. Oh, 
little interesting fact about the Untouchables here before we get back to Benji the Hunted. You know, he uh, has a taste of the uh, alcohol. And, um, yeah, every, everyone who has a taste of alcohol in this movie dies. You never see George have a drink. You never see Elliot have a drink. And, um, but, you know, poor Oscar and uh, poor, you know, poor Malone as well. Costner trying to trick this uh, goon into giving up. Oh, with the grenade. Like, Costa just kind of looks like an action hero, doesn't he? Like, you know, he just kind of comes fully formed. Oh, yeah. So I saw this movie eight times at the cinema. And I reckon half the time people laughed at this bit when he yells at the guy that he shot. I never really understood. Is it funny? I don't know if it's funny. Like, it shows you that... Like, he's not a killer. Like, he does what he has to do. But... Like, it doesn't come... Like, it doesn't come naturally to him. It's not something that he relishes. And that's what I like about him. You know, he's not... He's not someone who... You know, he's... Not crazy. He, he he'll do what he has to do. And anyway, I just love him so much in this, and I and I love the character of Elliot Ness. Um, but before we get too lost in me professing my love for Elliot Ness and specifically Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness, so Benji the Hunted. I saw the title and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, what does he get rabies? Like, what is going on with this film? So. The fourth in the Benji series, it is about Benji going missing while filming a movie on location and he tries to survive in the wilderness while looking after orphan cougar cubs after their mother is shot and killed by a hunter. That is a children's movie. That is insane. Like, we watched much darker stuff back then don't you think like am i am i incorrect in saying that like that is there's a lot going on in that uh, um in that description there is a um maybe they're the movies i should be watching <laughs> um Ben and I have decided on who we're, who we're going to cover next uh, for Big Squid after Sophia Coppola. And um, <laughs> maybe I should tell him, no, I've had a change of mind. We are going to cover all the Benji movies and then <laughs> we get to listen to Ben have a nervous breakdown when he has to watch Benji the Hunted. <laughs> um, here's another little fact here for you, that, uh, or a couple that you might find funny. Um so the script is written by David Mamet, who is, of course, an acclaimed uh, playwright. He is an acclaimed screenwriter. He's also a director. A Paramount executive thought the script, and this is, uh, it looks like it's a direct quote. I saw it quoted a couple of times and it always came in quotation marks. So I feel like it is uh, for realsies. But um, 
the Paramount executive thought the script was a piece of dreck. Dreck. Maybe we should bring that word back. What a piece of dreck. I quite like this. Oh, the scene when... So, once again, if you're just listening, this is the scene where Malone gets uh, the dead mafioso guy and uh, or gangster and lifts him up and... It's the he wants to scare the guy that they've captured, and he puts the gun in the dead man's mouth and blows his brains out, and it's intense. And then this guy turns in; he gets so scared he turns into a cliched Italian. Hey, whatever you want to do, hey, hey, I'll talk about it. And Oscar, like, I don't think, I'm not sure if Oscar knows that that is a dead man that he's done that to. Oscar's like, oh, okay, um, uh, just want to ask you about this ledger here and uh, the, these numbers. But he, here's where you start to go, man. Ness is hardening. I do not approve of your methods. Yeah. Well, you're not from Chicago. Look at, uh, and the way Malone looks at Ness. So good. I'd love to know what the scene after that was. Do you know what I mean? This is great. Like, this is De Niro just going 100% De Niro. Look at him as Capone yelling at everyone. The guy the guy's yelling at about to burst into tears. Like, Bob Hoskins was a really good actor, but, like, you, you, you want De Niro, right? You want De Niro. Um... So this is interesting, and this is um, this is a uh, a real life fact. Uh, Al Capone knew killing a prohibition agent would lead to more trouble, so his men weren't allowed to be even kind of violent towards any of the untouchables. Um, so they weren't allowed to um, do anything in any way that would draw more attention to them, and instead he. Uh, you know, he just tried to bribe them. Oh, this is a... Uh, God, Patricia is so gorgeous, isn't she? They look like... it. They look really look like a couple that love each other. <laughs> it's a very attractive couple. She's got such beautiful eyes, hasn't she? And once again, she only gets a few scenes and I think she's like... I think she's great. I would have liked to have had more of her in the film. See, this is a good scene that between, with with Ness and his wife. There's just a little bit of, just a little taste of Ubris. Ness is getting a little bit ahead of himself here, and of course that leads to you know what is about to happen. It's it's what would you call that? It's not foreshadowing. It's is it ironic foreshadowing? Is it you know maybe it's just a good lesson. Sometimes I feel like I take that lesson too far. You know, when you something good's happening and it's almost like you are just incapable of actually appreciating the moment because you're um, too scared that from the moment that you say, hey, things are going quite well, wow, wow shit turns pear-shaped. See, even Oscar here, Oscar has... Um, you know, leading their... Oh, look at Andy Garcia. Um, 
you know, even Oscar's a little bit too confident at this point as well, isn't he? You know, like he's he's actually enjoying himself. He gets distracted easily by that girl. You know, and that's what makes um, this scene in the elevator so brutal. Like when you saw it's Frank Nitty, it's like, oh no, oh no. Were gangsters uh, that clever to um, think, we'll, we'll put a woman here to distract and while everyone's looking at the really pretty woman, uh, then we'll get away with uh, making sure that uh, our gangster dressed as a cop, nobody knows. Yeah, look, everyone's just, a, uh, in this scene, everyone's just a little bit too confident. Everyone's just a little bit too comfortable. Like, they're already smoking cigars. You know, you haven't put him away yet. Don't be, don't be getting ahead of yourself. You know, it's good though. It's it's you're sitting in the cinema and you're thinking, I'm, I reckon we're only halfway through this film. Why 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 is everyone in a good mood? Have they not read the rest of the script? <laughs> oh, Oscar, like you know, he's oh, and the worst thing is is that um, Nitty kills the kills the the guy that can you know link Capone to the ledger but Oscar has those few seconds where he knows what's happened and then he knows that he's about to get he's about to get shot oh Oh, the music here All, all of this is all of this is so good and we suddenly realize you know how dirty this cop's hands are. Uh, I was so upset <laughs> when I first saw this. I was like, oh, not, not Oscar. Oh, yeah. All that good work is done now, isn't it? And, um, and you know, look, let's be honest. We, we, we can be a little bit nitpicky and say, geez, he, um, like, when did he, when did he write, when did he hang... When did he hang Oscar up and write touchable in in the blood? I don't give a shit. I don't care that that's, you know, you know, maybe he was a quick writer. It's such a powerful scene. And the, the way, uh, uh, look at Connery, man, this is just a reminder, you know, this is, this is the stuff that that character has been living with for a long time. And this is, this is great. Because now Ness is Ness is about to break bad, you know, and you know this this fucking dirty asshole trying to give you know Malone a, a warning, as it were, and uh, you know Malone just won't have any of it. Look at the look on Connery's face; he's just got no time for him. No time whatsoever. He also knows that Ness is about to go and do 
something really stupid. Um, in in the real world, uh, Jimmy Malone never met the real uh, life Elliot Ness. Malone was too busy trying to infiltrate Capone's organisation to uncover evidence of suspected tax evasion. This is this is some fucking tasty Costnock being angry. This and and this scene like this little bit here when he uh punches the guy coming down the stairs who's the Capone's kind of um you know, one of his heavies, when he just smacks him one in the face. It's um <laughs> Oh man, I was so into this as a kid. Like Ness. Yeah, De Niro going full De Niro. (laughs) And everyone pulling their guns. Like it's a really, it's just a fucking great scene. You swear in front of my son, fuck you and your family. (laughs) Meanwhile, that guy's got a broken nose in the background and that will come into play a little bit later on. Keep that in the back of your head if you you haven't remembered or if you haven't uh, watched the film before. Actually, I really hope you have watched the film before and you're not listening to this podcast at the same time. I don't know if that would be the best way to enjoy it. This is uh, definitely meant to be a... um, uh, a, a a different experience, not not your first experience, as it were. Um, another uh, some more little facts for you. The director of photography, Stephen Burham, 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 tried to convince De Palma to shoot the movie in black and white. He kept uh, trying to convince him to do it, and uh, De Palma had to say, "Just no, mate. It's not going to happen. Don't don't get your hopes up." Don't get disappointed. It's just, it's not going to go down. So, you know, don't, just don't. Um, so I looked into uh, people who were offered uh, the role of Elliot Ness. As you can imagine, Kevin Costner was not a big name. So uh, there's heaps of names here. There's heaps. And some of them, I reckon, Probably bullshit. Uh, like, there's too many names here. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, Christopher Lambert. Like, maybe. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, like Sylvester Stallone. I just I just find that hard to believe that they thought Arnold Schwarzenegger as Elliot Ness. Like, <laughs> like this is the year that he makes Predator. Do you believe that? <laughs> you... You can't have Elliot Ness actually look more physically imposing than Al Capone. But some of the names uh, that were... uh, I'll I'll read out the names that I think were possibly, uh, you know, more on the cards than weren't. So, uh, supposedly Jack Nicholson was offered the role of Elliot Ness. Uh... I, that doesn't work for me. Like, Nicholson's great, but, um, you know, like, like 
Elliot is kind of straight-laced, you know what I mean? And you have to kind of see him over the course of... Like, this is in some ways... Like, if this had been a... Um, you know, if this was now, this would be the origin movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> this would be the origin of Elliot Ness, how he went from being uh, a young, idealistic uh, policeman, uh, you know, who works for the Treasury Department, uh, and uh, how he learns, he learns his ways, and, you know, it's the first of three films, and, you know, Jack Nicholson's too... He already has a darkness to him. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he he brings a he brings that kind of maniacal edge to kind of every role he performs. Uh, and so seeing him tip over into that would be it would be less of a journey because you'd feel like he was already there. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, which might have been okay, but I um, Tommy Lee Jones is a good actor. But I think there's uh, once again, I think. Uh, Kevin Costner has a lightness of touch as well that uh, really uh, benefits the Elliot Ness character. Uh, William Hurt, which William Hurt would have been good. You know, I think William Hurt, I can see William Hurt in it. Um, Supposedly, Paramount wanted Harrison Ford. Uh, This is around the time of Witness. I can see Harrison Ford doing this, but I think Harrison Ford would have been... um, I think he would have been too old for it, don't you think? Like, I think, like, Costner's just a little bit younger and and it means that, you know, it means the the relationship with Malone has has kind of more weight to it because of the age difference. So, um, and also uh, De Palma supposedly also wanted Don Johnson... Don Johnson's interesting. I love, I like, I have a soft spot for Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke. Uh, Mickey Rourke, uh, you know, this is pre all the work done to his face, Mickey Rourke. Uh, this is the year that he made uh, Angel Heart, which I think is a uh, an underrated, you know, horror noir film. I, I heard I heard someone on a podcast recently kind of making fun of it a little bit, but I, I rewatched it recently and thought it was still pretty great. Um, there was also talk that Jeff Bridges could have played um, Elliot Ness and have Gene Hackman as Malone. That's not necessarily a worse movie. I don't think it's as good. Like, I, like I'm wrapped with how all of this uh, came together. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I... I personally wouldn't uh, change any of these people but um you know that's interesting uh, and and finally uh, supposedly uh, mel gibson was uh up for it but that's the year that he's making um lethal weapon so you know uh and i you know once again a, a, a very problematic actor to talk about these days but you know, it, remember, uh, I think it was last year that Tom Gleason and I watched uh, and talked about on this very podcast, uh, The Year of Living Dangerously. And I I think maybe that version of um, Mel Gibson could have done a, a pretty good job. But, yeah, no, I I wouldn't change it. I would not change it. I, I love 
I love Kevin Costner in this role. And, um, and you know, like if he doesn't get this role, then, you know, remember me telling you about all the, um, all the other roles that, uh, like, does he miss out on, um, on Field of Dreams and Bull Durham? And, you know, that's a bummer. I don't want him to miss out on those films. Uh, we've got the scene for anyone who's just listening to the podcast. We've got the scene between you know the old police chief and and uh, and Malone having a having a dust up. It's an old man fight, <laughs> and Connery kicks him in the cock, and then fucking goes for it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good, so good. Connery's still so goddamn tough and not afraid to pull a gun on the fucking cop. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And, um, oh, yeah, Ness, you know. By the way, how good are the clothes? You know, for a while, I, I, I honestly just remembered this. I actually bought a fedora. I love this film so much. Um, but the problem with the fedora was uh, I was 14 and where was a 14, 15-year-old going to wear a fedora? <laughs> you might find this hard to believe, but uh, in the 80s, there weren't many speakeasies and there were, you know, there weren't many Bugsy Malone uh, dress-up parties going on. Uh, look at this scene as well. Like, this is a real kind of uh, Hitchcock shot, isn't it? And... Uh, and once again, De Niro, pretty funny. You know, it, it, it really makes the Capone character, like you kind of understand he's not just, um, he's not just running the town through fear. He's kind of that, like someone's much scarier when they're funny and they're much scarier when they're charismatic as well, you know, and you can kind of understand that, there, there would have been some people that he would have, uh, people would have been won over to him, but he can, he can change the look in his eyes. You know, he can go from charming to, you know, the look in his eyes of looking really, really nasty and violent, and then he puts that awful smile on again. Ugh. And uh, here we have it. The Racine Avenue moment where we see that um, 1634 Racine where Paul Malone doesn't know that Capone's men are surrounding his home. And the dread I felt the first time I saw this it was like, oh, no. And there's a couple of them there. And it's such a such a tense scene, isn't it? And, it, like, Malone isn't stupid. He's, he's aware that there could be someone around. Like, you know, you see that, uh, you know, at the beginning of this shot, you see him... Um, you know what I've just noticed for the very first time? I think you can see the camera in the reflection of the window just as it goes past. I think you can just see very, um, very faintly. 
I, by the way, I'm watching this on Blu-ray, so maybe the maybe I never saw that before. So I'm wondering if it's the uh, the Blu-ray. You can't see when the camera's going the other way, but when it was, uh, yeah, you could just see. Of uh, yeah, you could. <laughs> seen that before i don't care whatever you know the godfather is one of the greatest movies ever made but there's that moment when Sonny corleone uh punches his brother-in-law and the punch misses by three meters and the guy reacts as if his face has just been caved in (laughs) Ah, this scene though see that little bit of booze there right and you know that the booze is not a um it's not a good sign if someone's been drinking alcohol in this um, in this movie. Oh yeah, and then you see, you know, then the the guy's creeping up on Malone, and you're like, oh no! Like I honestly, I just thought this is this is it for Malone, and then when he turned around, I was like, oh yes. It's such a great, great scene. He should have shot him. He should have shot him. Why didn't he shoot him? And then he goes out into that area and there's Nitty. Oh, and it is a fucking death scene. Like, that is... And it's shocking as well. It's shocking to see Malone shot. And it's even more shocking because it's Sean Connery. Look at this guy. Yeah, you did nothing, mate. So, the reason I saw this film at the cinema was because I loved the trailer. And I had never really been exposed to opera. And... They use this bit of opera in the um, in the trailer. If you haven't seen the trailer, I highly recommend watching it. It is a great trailer. But this bit of opera in this scene was... I had just never experienced anything like it. Like, I'm 14, I'm watching this, and it is spectacular, and it brought out all these emotions and it just made the scene like it's already a big scene you know like like Malone's been shot and he's still trying to do whatever it is that he's going to do and the juxtaposition of you know Capone getting his you know getting his good news the the smile on his face oh so, oh, I love that scene so much. Uh, the opera that Capone is attending is uh, Pagliacci, and the aria is uh, Vesti la Guiba. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is, uh, I think, Italian for put on your costume. Uh, Pagliacci, of course, is the clown that uh, in the Watchmen graphic novel that uh, Rorschach tells a joke about. 
So there you go. Little call back to the first season of this podcast as well. Happy 100th birthday. <laughs> oh, and all the blood everywhere. Oh, Elliot. And God damn, this is, I fucking, watch Garcia in this as well. The bookkeeper, the bookkeeper, the bookkeeper. (laughs) George Stone comes in with his guns just in case. (laughs) You know, and he thinks he wants his, his peace and it's like, no, 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 I don't have time for that. Oh. Oh, the music. Oh, it's so good. Oh, good Connery. Oh. Oh, the music. Oh. oh, what are you prepared to do? I feel a bit teary watching this. I've forgotten how good it is. Oh, oh no. Then he, oh, it's a good death scene, isn't it? Oh, look at George. He just wants to hold his hand, touch his hand for a moment. Oh. Oh, and then you go to the, these two smug assholes. Fuck everyone in this scene. <laughs> fucking Capone, fucking cheering everyone on. Oh, man. Oh, it's so good. And now, now fucking Ness and Stone. And he, like, look at Garcia. Like, what a... God, why didn't they make a sequel to this with with these two guys in their prime? Guess what I would have done? I would have seen it stacks of heaps of times. <laughs> oh, so good. And now we get to the famous railway station scene, which is... Uh, uh, you, you probably know this, but if you don't, is a homage to the Odessa Steps in Sergei Eisenstein's famous 1925 silent movie, Battleship Potopkin. I think that's how you pronounce it. Pot- Potkin. Um, which is uh, a movie dramatization uh, about a uh, an incident of, with the crew on a Russian battleship that rebelled against its officers that occurred in 1905. And how's this? Like, this scene is just a masterclass in tension and just not knowing what's going to happen and then you you know you raise the stakes of oh here's here's someone with a baby here's a here's a woman with a baby trying to carry two suitcases like can you make this scene any more stressful um so this scene is such a phenomenal scene and De Palma nearly didn't get to film it 
because Paramount wanted him to wrap up the production. But uh, De Palma had been secretly stashing raw film stock back in the day when you had film stock, and he was um, secretly uh, stockpiling it, and he then was able to film this scene. And I just can't imagine this movie without this moment. The original idea was that they were going to have a shootout on a stationary train. And I think they kind of do that in uh, De Palma's Carlito's way. Uh, underrated film, by the way. Underrated um, underrated Pacino, actually. That's actually a really good Pacino film. But uh, anyway, uh, but they thought it was going to be more expensive to... Um, uh, you know, have to recreate a, a whole train to then have this shootout on. And so they um, uh, did it here. But this is this is great. And, you know, Ness is on a mission and, you know, his friends just died. But he's also Elliot Ness. And you know what Elliot Ness is going to do? He's going to help a woman by herself with two suitcases and a baby. Yes, that's what he's going to do because he's a gentleman and he's a good guy. Now, he's prepared to do some shit because <laughs> he's, you know, from Chicago. <laughs> but um, can you see a nice little uh, bit of continuity there? Can you see the blood stains still on his uh, coat from where uh, Malone grabbed him? That's a nice little touch. You know what that does? That uh, that evens out me seeing the cameraman in in the in the window. <laughs> I can't believe that's the first time I have seen this movie so many times, and I'd never seen that before. Oh no! And this kid, you know, this kid is not having a good day. I'm guessing it's teething. It's always teething, isn't it? Is that? Um, once again, aren't the fashions fantastic? Back in the day when you bought clothes and they fucking lasted. Little unimportant story for you. On the Sunday before lockdown, I had had two pairs of tracksuit pants and they had just kind of worn down and things had been really busy. So I went and bought uh, two new pair and... Uh, two days later, I was going for a run, so I put on my first pair and they tore at the band just as I was slipping them on. So I didn't even really get to wear them. They tore as I was lifting, like slipping them up over my knees. So then I put on the other pair and I went for a run. And when I got back, the bottom of it had like around the crotch, it had all just all the thread had split open. And I was like, motherfucker. So then I thought, I'll have to take these back. And then we went into lockdown. And then uh, one of my pairs that was falling apart fell apart. So uh, now I'm just wearing uh, pyjama pants a lot more around the house. Anyway, sorry if that's a bit too sexy. If that's a bit too hot for you. All right. Let's get back to the scene. Yeah, look at look at Costner's acting here when he suddenly, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing by this kid. But I am noticing that... Uh, here are Capone's men. 
you know, there's a there's a little bit of the you know uh, one of my favorite things about Bruce Willis is you know when he's got the kind of open mouth look, which is a bit. Um, you know, a little bit uncertain, a little bit determined, and and Costner's got a little in his own way. He's got a little bit of that, and then he sees the bookkeeper. Oh man, like, and here's that motherfucker that he broke the nose of. This is so good. This is so good. And that guy's like, look, this scene when Costner turns around and the woman's screaming, fuck. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God, it's so good. And now George Stone. Come on, mate. Come on, George. Oh, man. All of this is great. And and the woman just, hey, like, I know you're upset. (laughs) Get out of the way. I'm trying to kill the bad guys here. (laughs) You know who I feel sorry for in this scene? Oh, Andy Garcia's face, look at him, fuck. You know what You know what George Stone likes doing? Shooting gangsters. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> oh, I know your baby. I know this is some stressful time, but the kids actually stopped crying, so I don't know what you're worried about. Seems like this is what the kid needed, just needed a little ride. Look at this scene. Oh, so that's what I was about to say. Oh, this arsehole. Uh, the, um, the sailors, <laughs> I feel. Really sorry for the sailors. Poor buggers. They're on leave. You know, just, you know, leaving the train station. Oh, Oh, that poor bugger, gone. Oh, man, how the baby doesn't get shot is crazy. Oh, yeah, see? The sailor gets shot. Oh, man, I had no idea. Like, you look, the sailor's trying to save the baby as well. Like, the sailors are good guys. And then he realises that Costner's gun, or Nessa's gun, is lodged. And it's like, fuck. And then George Stone, this is such a good scene. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, like, like look, look at Andy Garcia here, right? Look, the kid's wrapped. I just met Kevin Costner. Look at look at look at fucking Andy Garcia. Look at him. Like fuck, I just uh, like I'm sure he's happy, but this whole scene. This guy's great as well. He is fucking going for it. This is this is my scene, and I am going to act the shit out of it. <laughs> look at the eyes. Look how sweaty he is. <laughs> Costa, you fucking legend. He is so good in this moment. You got him? Yeah, I got him. Take him. Two. <laughs> the music. His brain splattered all over the fucking marble. Oh, man. 
how good are movies? All of this. And then Stone just, yep, cocks the gun again. Are you going to move? No, you're not. No, you aren't. Look at fucking Costner. Oh. God. Look, I hope you're enjoying this as a podcast because I'm having a really good time. And, you know, like, to be honest, I'm... <laughs> I haven't seen anyone <laughs> in, in, a, in a week. I'm going to have another glass of wine. Um, underrated role is the prosecutor here. <laughs> I really like this guy. He's... Um, he doesn't have uh, too much uh, to do in the uh, in the film, but uh, what he does do is great. Ah, oh, man! Once again, like I, I like I just remember sitting in the cinema and just thinking, "This is unbelievable! This is unbelievable!" The way uh, George Snow <laughs> slides in. Uh, you know, you, you've seen a real progression in um, in Elliot Ness. Like, you understand how he's gotten here. He doesn't feel too removed from the man that we met at the start of the movie, but we know that he is now, you know, this is, this is who he is now. He's been hardened. Great scene in the courtroom with uh, Capone just yawning and giving it away <laughs> good acting by Costner again <laughs> the way he kind of looks and notices the yawning and he's a bit like what is going on over here like this should be really good what's what's happening oh man have you ever seen Waterworld Waterworld is one of those movies where, look, I'm not going to pretend it is, like, great, or, but I don't, I don't think it's as bad. It's like, I feel like, for me, that was one of the first films where a film's reputation before it comes out is, you know, much worse than the actual film, and then it's like the film never has an opportunity to succeed. Yeah, anyway. Costner's an interesting one. Um, you know, think about the set pieces we've just gone from. We've gone from, uh, you know, Malone being shot to the, um, to the train station and now we're in the courtroom scene where Frank Nitty is being taken out because uh, Elliot Ness has seen within his jacket a uh, a gun. So he's going to take him out and uh, have a word with him. And uh, Frank Nitty. Oh, my God. That actor is so good. Elliot Ness's wife is there. That seems like a brave thing to do. Like, I'm, I know that she's uh, wanting to support him, but Jesus, like, what are you doing? You've already been... Uh, you've already been threatened... Billy Drago is the actor who played Frank Nitti. Um, he died. Oh, he died in uh, 2019. Uh, you know, he had a pretty long career, uh, but I don't really... I don't really remember him from 
too much else. Like, I remember him from this. Like, he is, you know, he is like a star in this film. But, um, yeah, it doesn't, like there's, like, there's heaps of movies here. Like, heaps of movies. But not necessarily um, a lot of movies that I actually recognize. God, like, so many movies. A lot of TV as well. Um, yeah, interesting, right? But, you know, he's so, um, he's so indelible in this film, um, it would be hard to, um, it would be difficult to, uh, you know, see him as anything else. Oh, this is great, isn't it? When he looks at the thing, uh, looks at the, uh, matchbox with the Malone's address, 1634 Racine. I had a friend who lived there and then goes for the gun. God damn it. He's a uh, nitty is like, um, it's like a hairless cat that's broken into your house and you've come in and <laughs> found it, you know, about to take a shit on your carpet. Right. Once again, the music's great. And Ness taking after him. Oh, it's all so good. And it looks beautiful as well, doesn't it? Where, they, where they've shot this. Um, little fact for you. The Treasury Department did not have a single casualty during Prohibition. I did not know that. Um, funny little fact for you. In Belgium, the first release in the theatres omitted the scene where Al Capone hits one of his henchmen with a baseball bat. Two weeks after its release, the scene was restored. Cinemas announced this to be the uncensored version. That's weird, isn't it? You think that's weird? I think that's weird. Why would you take that out? Oh, yeah, this is, um, you know, when he, when Ness rolls off the top of the building and you're like, oh, like he can't be dead, right? And he nearly pins him as well. Look at this. Oh, so close. So close to getting him. Oh, yeah, nitty. You are the worst. So uh, I'm going to... I'll wait. There's a scene coming up that, um, you know, that I will um, make a little... uh, uh, tell you a little thing about uh, that I thought as, as um, as a young fella... Um, Costner uh, made one million on a movie for the first time for this. They offered him eight hundred thousand, which is the most he'd ever made on a film. But Costner insisted. He said, "You know what? I don't know if this is ever going to happen to me again, but I'd like a million, He recalls, "That's still there's still that kind of number I think in the psyche of Americans. It certainly was with me. The studio managed it, and Costner used the money to buy his father a truck for Christmas, a Silverado. And you go, that must have been a fucking hell of a Silverado." I'm guessing he didn't spend the whole million on that. Um, 
this is this is uh this is such a great scene like once again um great 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 acting uh, what a like what a kind of beautiful shot as well but look at this this scene of Costner or Ness looking down at at Nitty and uh you know he obviously thought the rope was going to go a bit further and he's Like this is this is the moment. Is he is he going to uh, shoot him when he's defenseless? And this is where you uh, where you wonder. It'd be easy to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a such a moment of relief when he when he uh doesn't you know and I love that it's seen as um Nitty sees it as weakness which is interesting, isn't it? Like like he's being caught but he's still pretty confident so it's great because he says don't push me (laughs) and that's going to be ironic in just a few seconds yeah I love that Uh, you know he says he, like he has to, he just can't help himself and even gets out his comb to fix his hair. And it's like, oh, Elliot. You know, which is kind of undoes the good work that he did from uh, not shooting him and now pushing him to his death and, you know. But he does get the line of, did he sound anything like that, which is fantastic. <laughs> So see this scene here where you're looking at um, Ness looking down from the edge of the building. When they were going to make the Batman movie, the Tim Burton Batman movie, I wanted it to be Kevin Costner. Because I saw that scene and I thought, oh, imagine him with a cowl and and a cape. He would make a great Batman. Now, I'm not entirely sure that I'm correct about that. But as a kid, you know... I was not into uh, the Michael Keaton choice. And I loved Michael Keaton, but I was not into that choice. Um, But, you know, on the one hand, I feel like um, Ness shouldn't have pushed Nitty out off the bridge. But you get the line of, uh, did he sound anything like that? And we now get this line of George asking where Nitty is, and he says, in the car. So, on the one hand, he's stepped over the line. On the second hand, well, you know, he brought the jokes. And sometimes you just got to, um, you know, give two thumbs up to the gags. Um, Kevin Costner said, I've always 
not appreciated when violence wasn't handled right in movies. Violence is vulgar, and a lot of times there's not a lot of ballet to it. The Untouchables was about a violent time and violent, violent men. Um, the, and Connery writes, the essence of the movie was about street violence. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. The, the, the It isn't... It isn't pretty, is it? Like even the fight scene between uh, Malone and the and the, you know, the police captain or whatever that guy's uh, role that he had, the two old men going for it. It's 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 pretty brutal. It's pretty ugly. And when people get hit, they they're hurt, aren't they? Like that that guy that Ness punches. You know, he's got a broken nose later on. He's not you know looking fine. Really smart move when Ness kicks everyone out. And then it goes straight to the judge and you you don't know what he said and you don't need to see it. Like I think in a lesser film you see him, you see this scene, but instead we go straight to this and the way he's looking at the man. And it's a real roll of the dice for Ness because he's essentially like this guy's, this judge's name isn't in the ledger. But he's just figuring this whole town is corrupt. And so maybe at some point he has taken a bribe. So he says it. And now the judge feels compromised. And he switches over the jury. Interesting. Oh, uh, my little Frank Nitty fact for you, uh, which I was going to tell you earlier, but I thought I'd wait until you've seen him fly like an eagle. Um, Nitty actually committed suicide in 1943, which was 12 years after the trial of Al Capone. Um, what did you say to him? <laughs> Once again, he he just underplays it as well. Like he doesn't he doesn't oversell this line. <laughs> De Niro's so big in this film. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Do something about it. <laughs> and this guy's great. De Niro's uh, Capone's face when he says we're going to withdraw the plea of not guilty to guilty and he's like and then he fucking punches him out like what is happening in this film it's great yeah George George is happy Mrs. Ness so beautiful she's happy everyone like look at the look at the little reporter he's fucking brave isn't he uh, getting up close to Capone to try and get a quote while all this shit is going down this is such a good scene Yeah. Yeah, I I love this. This is um they only see each other twice in the film. And uh this is this is great. Gets to throw his Malonism back at Capone. Yeah. <laughs> Costner, at his peak, just knew how to deliver, you know, 
a line that's probably a little bit corny and just deliver it with sincerity. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's about seven guys trying to hold De Niro back from, uh, or Capone back from going nuts. It is, what a great, what a great moment. And then it's just this very sweet coda, isn't it? It's a very gentle coda. It's been a violent film. It's a it's a violent film uh, right from the start. And now, you know, um, it ends up in a very calm way. Uh, can I tell you something? When he folds over the news clippings and... If you look closely, one of the clippings is bent when he t- when he folds it up, and it has haunted me <laughs> since 1987, since I first saw this film. I think, man, what are you doing? Like, fucking... And then he looks at the photo of uh, the four of them together, and there's like a like there's a shadow through Oscar and Malone. And then you look back and then suddenly Oscar and uh, Maloney's moved it and they're, they're in the light. The slats are now through, you know, it's like uh, just kind of highlighting them. So much violence. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, this is, this is a great final moment finding, uh, finding uh, Malone's stuff and, uh, George coming in. Why didn't they make another movie? Why didn't they make another movie with uh, with Elliot and, and George? They could have gone on and taken on, you know, anyone. Godzilla. <laughs> Dracula. The Untouchables mean Dracula. <laughs> um, yeah, so much violence and he can now, you know, symbolically, you know, take off the gun. That's a nice satchel. I've been thinking about uh, how nice it would be to own a satchel again. I don't know why that popped into my head the other day. Oh, here's George. Now remember, he's he's barely out of um, the academy. So, you know. And now he's now he's inarticulate, you know. What wants to thank him for the opportunity? Now they'd hug, but back then, they just they just shook hands. Elliot's great. No, thank you. Oh, I love this. <laughs> and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to give this to you. Handing over. Oh, so good. And the way George doesn't want to take it. Nah. Another handshake. I'm going home. Yes, you are, Elliot. Just. No one else really there to say goodbye to Elliot Ness. Just him leaving. And then little Jimmy Olsen. (laughs) Great last line as well. This is great. I think I'll have a drink. Once again, he doesn't doesn't oversell it. And that brings us to the end 
of the untouchables and this music it swells it looks like uh i'm pretty certain i'm right about this but it looks like the street where they have the uh funeral for um jim gordon in the dark Knight. is that right looks like it. i have to check that up and that brings us to the end of the untouchables uh it uh garnered one academy award and that was for best supporting actor which went all the way to sean connery uh, the only time i think he was ever nominated and also the therefore the only time that he won uh what a role to have uh in real life al capone and elliot ness Never met face to face, so that's interesting. And here's a little crazy uh, squid bit to finish on. De Palma nearly filmed a prequel called Capone Rising, which would chart the mobster's climb to power prior to clashing with Elliot Ness. In 2007, Brian De Palma was interested in. Do you want to take a guess? I'll give you a couple of seconds. Who would play a young Capone and who would play a young Jimmy Malone? I'm going to tell you the answers in three, two, one. Young Capone, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) What? (laughs) No, I can't do that. And uh, Gerard Butler as Jimmy Malone. You know what? I'm fine. I am fine that we did not get that prequel. Um, But I wish we had gotten that sequel with young young, uh, Costner and young Garcia. Maybe they could have had the ghost of Malone come back, so then you could have had Sean Connery come back. He died in Highlander and came back for the sequel. So, you know, anything's possible. Okay. Well, uh, I hope this wasn't uh, too self-indulgent. I would have done this with, you know, I actually did ask uh, Ben Elwood to do this with me, but, you know, the the laws are what they are and, uh, you know, you are not, uh, you know, if you want to do the right thing by uh, society, you've got to fucking stay indoors and not mingle and blah 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 so uh you know i look i hope you enjoyed this i really enjoyed uh re-watching this film it's been a while since i've watched it uh i appreciate you listening to this whether you were listening on uh july 3rd and doing the uh, remote viewing or if you just listened to this while you were driving along running walking or if you did watch the movie and listen to it uh, at the same time whenever you don't have to do it on July 3rd either this has been the 100th episode of um, Big Squid and I just thought you know what like maybe I should quickly look up a quote for you Because we always finish with a quote, and that's always a a nice thing to do. Who should we finish with a quote from? Shall we finish with... Maybe... What about Kevin Costner? Why don't we get a quote from Kevin Costner to finish this 
podcast. I am just looking them up now. I should have thought about this a little bit earlier, but I, uh, you know, wasn't quite sure how I was going to do this. Um, Here we go. This is great. Ah, I'm wrapped. So, uh, once again, thank you very much for your time. And Kevin Costner says, I stand up for what I believe. I don't know if it's always paid off for me because I've been ridiculed and humiliated. That's a bit sad, actually. Uh, No, let's finish with this one. I'm going to keep that one in there. Oh, you know what? Um... You know what happened was I I saw one and then... Oh, anyway, whatever. Let's have this one instead. I'm a big fan of dreams. Unfortunately, dreams are our first casualty in life. People seem to give them up quicker than anything for a reality. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. 100 episodes in. Let's see what comes up next. Take care. Until then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.